everybody. Welcome to another episode of Two Strike Noise, your weekly baseball history podcast. I am one of your co-hosts as usual. Jeff joining me as always from a little bit north of here is my co-host Mark A. Johnston. Mark, how are you doing today? Wow, Jeff, I'm uh, I'm pretty excited about the show. We had a, a really fun interview we did, and, and uh, kind of far ranging and 100 percent baseball history. So uh, I'm I'm excited to get this out to our listeners. I think they're going to enjoy it. Let's spill the beans as if when you clicked on this, you didn't see already who our guest is this week. <laughs> it is none other than Dave Dravecki joined us, and we were so lucky to get to talk with him, and he gave us so much of his time, and we just kept talking about stuff. It was fun. It was, it was kind of like we were just sitting around and, you know, just talking baseball. Yeah, he was great. He just kind of hung out with us, hung out and talked baseball. It was uh, And you'll, you'll hear that when you, when you listen in, folks. It's really it's really fun. We literally had to say goodbye to him. Yeah, it was, it was great. <laughs> All right, so we've got that coming up. But first, Mark, we cannot just jump into that interview. we got to get warm. So let's go ahead and get into our BP segment. First of all, before we go any further, I want to give a shout out to another podcast. Uh, It's a podcast that we have mentioned before on our show. They were gracious enough to be part of our uh, Bump Bailey Wax Packs Hero Tournament of Champions last year. And I've had the opportunity to meet both of the co-hosts a year or two ago when I was up in D.C. for the World Series. Let's give a shout out to the No Crying in Baseball podcast. Patty and Potty Mouth, uh, they put up their 200th episode last week. That's a lot of episodes. Good for them. That's great. Yeah. This is 131 for us, and it's a lot, and they've got 70 more than we do. So congratulations to them, our favorite two Nationals, Orioles, Red Sox fans. Spread the whole Northeast, except for the, the New York team. So Great job, you two. Congrats. Yeah, congratulations to them. I know several of our listeners have uh, become fans of theirs, and they've also passed along some listeners, so we appreciate it. And again, uh, no crying in baseball. Congratulations. Let's get into a segment that's becoming very popular here, and we finally have a theme song for it. Oh boy, it is time for everybody's favorite part of uh, of our BP segment. It's time for the weekly Lars Newt Bar update. Mark, Lars has had a good week. Lars has had a fantastic week. I expected nothing less. Since our last show, Lars is in the starting lineup, and Lars is 5 for 18. I'd like to think we had something to do I'd with that. I'd like to think we, we did, too. So when last we spoke, he had hit his first home run, and he followed it up by hitting his second home run the next night. Well, fast forward a couple of days, and uh, Lars was at it again. that the announcers are getting into it. <laughs> That's awesome. Way to go, Lars. Yeah, his third home run in a week. And now I can't confirm this, but uh, I've been told that he gave us a shout-out in the post-game press conference, so thank you, Lars. Uh, Newt now has three home runs, nine RBI, and he's upped his average to 250 with a 118 OPS plus going into Sunday's game. Probably a little bit late for Rookie of the Year, votes but you know he might get a couple but i'm hoping that maybe he doesn't get enough ab's he can still qualify next year 
we, we will have a year long Lars Newtbar for Rookie of the Year campaign uh, segment going. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it'll, be, it'll be a campaign. So we are recording this a little bit late. I haven't looked up his stats for today's game, but I was uh, I was told to take a look at this highlight. So the Cardinals, who are, of course, battling, they're a little bit behind, but they're battling for a wild card spot. They went into the ninth inning on the road, or no, it was at home today. Uh, they were up three to nothing against the Pirates. And in the top of the ninth, the Pirates got two runners on with two outs and the tying run at the plate. And then this happened. Runs this year, shift on the right side and a high fly ball out to right. New bar back. So that was a that was a leaping catch right before the wall. It wasn't going to be a home run, but it would have been a two out double that would have cleared the bases and put the tying run in scoring position. But Newt Bar was there to put it away. Congratulations, Lars! You're you're making us proud. Unbelievable, Lars! We're we're so glad that we uh, decided to hang out with you. All right, so let's uh, let's move on from our Lars uh, Newt Bar segment. Let's head into our debuts. This show is debuting on August twenty fourth. One debut that I wanted to hit up this uh, this week. It's uh, one of our favorite guys. We've talked about him before, but I wanted to go a little bit more in depth. So on August 24, 1981, Ken Herbeck makes his major league debut. And during the 12th inning, he hits a home run versus the New York Yankees that give his twins a 3-2 win. So I've got some good stuff here about Ken Herbeck. This is a quote from Tim Kirkjian. He said he is, quote, the most human baseball player ever. He went to the postseason galas because the beer was free. He was big, funny, and marvelous. Upon first meeting the White Sox diminutive Craig Grayback, who also wore number 14 as Herbie did, Herbeck told him, you should put a slash between in the one and the four so you'd be one-fourth of me, end quote. <laughs> uh, so, of course, Herbie was involved in a controversial play with Ron Gant in Game 2 of the 1991 series. While Gant was coming back to first base, after widely rounding the base on a single, Herbeck gently lifted Gant's leg off the bag to apply the tag. The umpire at that point was Drew Coble. He called Gant out and ruled that his forward progress would have caused Gant to step off the bag. And a hit to left by Gant. And Lonnie's trying. They're going to get him perhaps. He's safe. And now Gant gets back to first and he's out. I don't know, Jack. It looked like Herbeck pulled him off the bag. I think the Braves have a legitimate complaint right here. Ken Herbeck makes the tag and watch the momentum of Herbeck pull Dan off the bag. He pulls him off the bag. I remember that so vividly. Oh, I do too. In fact, I, I have some friends who are diehard Braves fans that are still incredibly angry about that play. Uh, yeah, I was I was a, a, a an Atlanta mark at that point. This was freshman year of college. We were all watching this in the dorm, and we were all so angry. And it kind of, it kind of colored my attitude towards uh, Kent Herbeck for quite a while after that. I'm over it, obviously. <laughs> but uh, uh, Gant was really obviously angry about that for quite a while. The move was later tabbed the T Rex tag. The T-Rex, of course, coming from Herbeck's longstanding joking nickname for himself as he speculated that after baseball was over, he was going to become a professional wrestler under the name of Tyrannosaurus Rex. (laughs) 
Uh, Herbie was notorious for losing his stirrups. Now, this I had never heard, but it has to do with stirrups, so it's right up our alley. He was a outspoken member of the Major League Baseball Players Association when it came to certain uniform codes. And one of them is he campaigned very hard to remove mandatory stirrups, and he helped to ensure that it was actually written into the new labor agreement following the 1994 strike that stirrups were no longer required. He said, quote, I'm thankful that future generations of players will not have to rummage through their lockers 20 minutes before first pitch to find those darn stirrups. If that's my lone contribution to the game, I've done enough, end quote. <laughs> so I don't know. Actually, technically, that's another strike against Herbeck right there, right? I agree, yes. I think stirrups are masterful. Yes. So Herbie uh, also served as an unofficial consultant for the baseball movie Little Big League, which, of course, was filmed in the Metrodome in 1994. Character of Lou Collins was loosely based on him, and actor Timothy Busfield actually became buddies with Herbie during the during the filming. And I didn't know this. Timothy Busfield actually played some minor league ball before becoming wow. an actor. I didn't know that. He was in Field of the Dreams. Too. I did not know that. There is also a poem that somebody wrote that is in the style of Casey at the Bat called Herbeck at the Bat. It is quite long. It is quite entertaining. And someday we will we will hit that up. It's it's a little long, so we're not gonna we're not gonna go through it today. In his 14 year career, Ken Herbeck was only an All Star one time, and huh. that that was in his first full year in 1982, where he came in second in the Rookie of the Year balloting behind uh, some guy named Ripken. Oh, I heard about that guy. Yeah, I think he went on to be okay. Let's see, in those 14 years, 293 home runs, ended up with a 848 OPS. That's good for a 128 OPS plus. All right, so uh, let's head over to our trivia question. Who is the only player to hit exactly two career home runs, one being in their first at-bat and the other coming in their last of their major league career? So it's a bookend of major league home runs, the only two that they hit. Mark, did you have uh, any any idea? I was going to guess Eric Dickerson, but then I remembered he was a football running back. Where did you come up with Eric Dickerson? <laughs> no, I, I don't know, dude. I, stuff just lines up in there and it comes out of my mouth. All right. So, well, but I don't have the right answer, no. All right. Well, the uh, correct answer is a guy named John Miller. Now, this is not ESPN's John Miller. Uh, John Miller played for the Yankees in 1966. The next time he appeared in the big leagues was 1969 with the Los Angeles Dodgers. He had a total of 61 at-bats in 26 career games. His first home run came off of Boston's Lee Strange on September 11th, 1966. And then the other came in his final game in the big leagues against Cincinnati's Jim Merritt on September 23rd, 1969. They were his only two home runs in the big leagues, as I said. And uh, congratulations, though, to John Miller, because he appeared in exactly 32 more games than we ever did. That's right. That's right. And that's pretty impressive, actually, to to uh, introduce yourself in such a boisterous manner and then to exit in the same manner. Uh, so we did get a couple of correct answers there. A couple of a uh, couple of our usual listeners, Christopher Cook and Brian Krause, both uh, came up with the correct answer there. So I've got a new question for you for next week. Mark, there have been 13 players who have hit two grand slams in a single game. Not surprisingly, in every one of those games, the player who hit the two slams, their team has won the game. But what is really strange about that is of those 13 games, only one 
was accomplished in front of the hometown fans. The 12 really? others were all on the road. Wow. So my question is, who is the only of those 13 players to ever hit two grand slams in a single game? Who's the guy that did it at home? Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah, this was, I thought this was a great question. I, I would have never guessed that that many of the few people that have done it all happened on the road. Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's a very skewed number. Very. So we'll let you uh, capitulate on that for a week. We will give you the answer next week and uh, make sure to uh, hit us up if you think you know the answer. So, Mark, let's let the ground screw come out and do uh, do their stuff. I'm looking down into the bullpen to see who's getting ready to start today, and it is no other than our guest for this week. Dave Dravecki spent eight years in the big leagues. He ended up with a record of 64 and 57 with a very respectable 3.13 ERA. He spent of his career uh, six years with the San Diego Padres and finished up with three years in the San Francisco Giants uniform. He was a one-time All-Star with the Padres and went to the World Series. Well, his team went to the World Series twice, once with the Padres and once with the Giants. But of course, the thing that probably most people remember most about Dave Dravecki was his battle with cancer. Uh, He came back from that and uh, unfortunately broke his arm on the mound in the second game back. And after that, uh, they had some more medical issues and ended up having to have his pitching arm amputated. All of that will be covered, of course, as uh, we had the privilege uh, to get to talk to Mr. Dave Dravecki. I wanted to talk first before we get into the major leagues about 1982. You played somewhere that we've talked about, but hasn't they haven't had a team for quite a while before you got called up, the Hawaii Islanders. What what was it like playing in Hawaii in those road trips? I, I I'm I'm very curious to know coming from somebody that actually played there. Yeah, you know, um, it was really interesting because I I got there and I was there for six weeks before I got called up. I actually remember being in Hawaii and and playing a series there, and then going right to the mainland. And I think we were on the mainland for about twenty one days. Wow. I mean, that was intense. (laughs) And it was during that time, it was actually during that time that my wife called me and said that she was um, about to deliver our first child. So I was in Phoenix, had to get up the next morning, bright and early to catch a flight to try and get there in enough time for the birth of our daughter, Tiffany. Unfortunately, I was about 20 minutes short. Uh, I was 20 minutes late of uh, getting there. And so I missed the birth, but I have to tell you outside of the cost of living in Hawaii, it was an incredible experience playing on the Island. Doug Rader was our manager. He was, he was probably for me, one of the best player managers that I ever played for his whole approach to the game, his support of his teammates, the, the players, Um, was just amazing. And he made it a lot of fun for us. Being in Hawaii on on top of having Doug Rader as your manager was really, really cool. Uh, We would come to the clubhouse and Doug had set up a Nerf basketball hoop. And so, um, you know, we would, we would have the, the fun times with him. You know, the thing I loved about Hawaii and the clubhouse was the incredible amounts of fruit that the club provided, which was really good fruit. We enjoyed that thoroughly. Uh, just being on the island um, and playing baseball, it was, it was a vacation. I mean, it was, really was a vacation. 
The only difficulty at Aloha Stadium was that each cutout, because it was artificial surface, each cutout, it was lava rock, crushed lava rock. (laughs) Ouch. (laughs) You should have seen the strawberries these guys got for sliding into second, sliding into third, and to home. So that was interesting. And the the time while I was there playing, I just, I mean, I, I just loved it. I was there with my buds. I mean, a lot of us came up from Amarillo, Texas from the year before. Tony Gwynn, Andy Hopkins, Mark Thurman. On top of that, there was Freddie Kualua, um, who had had a cup of coffee in the big leagues. Uh, Ronnie Meredith, another lefty. You know, were just a lot of good friends. A lot of people that that I had known prior to going up to AAA. That made it, it always makes it better when you go up with a group of guys that you know to the next level. And then on top of that, being in Hawaii, I really didn't get the full experience of of playing on the island because I got called up on June 8th. And so as a result of that, I didn't get the entire season there. I didn't get the entire season of what travel was going to be like being on the mainland again and again, you know, and, and, and so coming back and forth across the water, I only experienced that once. But yet at the same time, it it was a great experience. I loved it, but certainly understand why they stopped it, because I don't know how anybody could have afforded it. Well, especially the way they pay minor leaguers today, huh? (laughs) I mean, well, and and when I was playing, I think my I think my uh, monthly salary with the with the uh, Padres at the time was twelve fifty. 1250 bucks and and our studio apartment was $495 a month. We were scratching pennies and just I mean doing everything possible to survive on the island because of the cost of living. You know, to go out and get milk alone mm. was a huge expense. Um so, you know, the food uh just I mean you really couldn't do anything. We we were a block off of Waikiki Beach in our apartment. So that was pretty cool. We could go out, walk across and sit at the beach. Then the routine would start, you know, you'd grab lunch. Maybe it was a bologna sandwich because that's really all about you, about what you could afford. And then you'd head to the ballpark and be grateful for the spread at the ballpark because you'd get a little bit more. Um, and then you would do your thing, you know, come back and do that routine over and over again because it was just really hard with the cost of living and the amount of money that most of us were making to really do a whole lot of stuff, even though just driving around the island was incredible. I could remember, I mean, now that now that we're talking about it, there's some really cool memories of going to um, Makapu to body surf with Doug Rader. So a bunch of us, would we'd all get in our cars. I remembered we, we bought Danny Gospel, who was our center fielder, and we're still close friends to this day. He and I teamed up and bought like a a Dodge Charger. Okay, we paid 750 bucks for it. So that'll give you the picture of what it was like. And and, and it was back in the day when obviously there were no emissions control. You know, you didn't have (laughs) any, a catalytic converter. That didn't exist. And, And I mean, this thing was just blowing out blue all day long. And we would get a bunch of guys in that car, a bunch of guys in somebody's van that's on the island. And we'd head over to Makapu and we'd go body surf. And Doug Rader was right there with us. He did all of that stuff with us, which was really, really cool because it built a sense of camaraderie 
you know, with our teammates. So that was, that was a lot of fun. Good thing with that crushed lava rock, you know, cutouts that you didn't have those white socks uniforms with the shorts. That would have been, that would have been really horrific. (laughs) You mentioned uh, Amarillo. I I, I wanted to talk about Amarillo um, because you um, spent a year there. Tony Gwen first became teammates with him in Amarillo where he came up and hit 429 in this first handful of games there. You spent the first part of your career with with the Padres, meaning you didn't have to face Tony Gwynn at all. When you did face him, not bad numbers. You know, three. You, he went three for nine. You got him on a strikeout once. Was he the best hitter that you ever had to face? Um, yeah, I would I would, I would, would say that he is. I mean, I remember in one game, it was, it was three for four off me in the first time I faced him. <laughs> well, you so, got him all out of the way. You, you shut him yeah. down after that. Yeah, we, as a matter of fact, it's interesting that you bring that up because I don't remember the other at bats. All I remember is the three for four. <laughs> and that's all I remember. So now, thanks to you, Jeff, for the correction, I can tell him that he was only three for nine off me. And you struck him out too. And that's, yes, and I did that. him out. Yeah. Which is, <laughs> I, I can't even believe that I did that to be perfectly honest with you, because I don't know how many times I ever saw that guy strike out. He was an amazing teammate. You know, when he came to Amarillo, we were all kind of on the sidelines. We were in Midland, Texas when he joined us. Never forget. And he comes in and we're all standing there because the new kids in town and he's the number one pick and he's just sprinted through Walla Walla and wherever else he went and came right to double A. So what are we getting? And, and we had experienced this in the early part of the year when we had a number one guy that came in that might've been in a, a supplemental draft that was number one, Jeff Pyburn, who was a quarterback uh, while Herschel Walker was at Georgia. And Jeff came in and everybody was touting you know, this number one football player, you got great speed, blah, 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 blah. And in the end, I mean, Jeff was a decent baseball player, but he was known for his speed. And that's about all you got. And then Tony comes in and we're thinking, okay, now what do we have? Nobody knows anything about this guy. And the first thing he does is goes in the outfield, in right field, and starts, you know, going through the infield routine before the game. And we're watching and he's throwing into second base and it's like, the ball goes out of his hand and, and we're, we're just all staring and waiting and waiting for the ball to come down. It's like, come on, come on. And it was like, it was hovering up there in one of those hot air balloons, not coming down. And we were like, Oh my gosh, are you kidding me? This is our number one pick. You can't even get the ball to second base. And then we watch him, he throw the third base and he throw home. And we're like, Oh my gosh, this is unbelievable. It was time for batting practice. And so he got in the cage and all of a sudden we're out in the outfield shagging and it's whack, 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 whack. And we go, who cares about his defense, man? This dude's <laughs> going to get us some runs. This is good. So it was really cool because what, what ended up happening, we had a great summer, by the way. I mean, our ball club was amazing in Amarillo. From top to bottom, we just had some amazing players. Spring training rolls around and Tony Gwynn gets a hold of Tom House, the pitching coach, asks Tom to go out in the outfield with him and teach him how to grab a four-seam fastball out of his glove to throw to second, to throw to third, to throw to home. 
work with him all spring in learning to grab that four seamer because what was happening was Tony was going in, he was just grabbing it wherever he could grab it. And nine times out of 10, you know, the ball would come into second base, but it was this. It was like he was throwing a constant sinker from the left side being left-handed. And so he wanted to get some velocity and he wanted to get, you know, straighten out the ball going into each bag. And sure enough, I mean, the rest is history. What, nine gold gloves, something like that? Did okay. Yeah, he did okay. Yeah, he sure did. So Tony Gwynn was an amazing ball player, but even more importantly, uh, he was an even better man. And and a good teammate from what I've heard uh, as well. Yeah, really good teammate, Mark. Really good. It was was a, a pleasure, a privilege, and an honor to be on the same team as Tony Gwynn for my minor league from Amarillo through. We basically almost came up together from Hawaii. And then from there, uh, through my four and a half years with the Padres as a teammate, just a, a great guy. Well, I have to ask, um, because I'm checking out your, uh, your batting stats, your hitting stats, and uh, I see a, a 121 lifetime average. So did you ever work with Tony to, uh, to improve, that, improve on that? No, I, 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 I credit my batting average to Deacon Jones. Who <laughs> was our hitting coach? <laughs> yeah, I actually uh, I stayed away from talking to those guys about hitting. You know, uh, for us, the most important thing for me was the the sack bunt, and sure. so I spent a lot of time making sure that I got my job done uh, when I was called on it. You know, with a man on first to move him over when I came up to the plate. But I have to tell you, I loved hitting. I loved hitting. And as you'll see in my stats, I do have a home run, Mark. Ah, yes, actually, uh, we were talking about that a little bit. Jeff mentioned it, that we were definitely going to chat about this. Yeah. April 16th, 1986. I'm, I'm assuming you remember who it was off of, where it went. 3-2 pitch, Dennis Powell, left center field. Yeah. <laughs> chipped, the concrete, chipped the concrete wall at Jack Murphy Stadium, at least in my own mind. <laughs> Did you get the ball back? Uh, yeah, as a matter of fact, I did. I have it somewhere, believe it or not, I have it somewhere in storage. There's only a few things I'm allowed to put on display around here. So, <laughs> Well, let's talk about you as a hitter because I've got some numbers here for you. Do you do you know who you hit best off of? Um, no, actually, I don't. Because this is pretty impressive. You got three hits off of Dennis Martinez. He's who you hit the best off of. And then you got two off of Fernando Valenzuela and Joe Necro. Yeah. The most impressive thing about the the two hits off of Fernando, you also had six sacrifice bunts off of him. And you just said that that was one of, that's what you took pride in. So that that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that's awesome, man. I I've never really looked at my stats, so I really appreciate you sharing that with me. That gives me more fuel for my fire when it comes to hitting. <laughs> there you uh, go. I, I actually remember, I actually do remember, uh, if I'm not mistaken, it was opening day against the Dodgers that I hit the double off of Fernando off the right center field wall. He threw one of those lazy screwballs that didn't screw, and it just stayed right up there and smoked it. I mean, it felt so good off the bat. And, you know, I went into second base with a double and that was really cool. And the game where I hit the home run against Dennis Powell um, and the Dodgers, we ended up losing that game two to one. And I'll never forget what Norm Sherry, our pitching coach, said to me after the game. 
He looked at me and he goes, you should have thrown a shutout. <laughs> Thanks a like, lot. Thanks a lot. I'm the only offense. And I end up throwing, you know, this incredible game against the Padres and getting beat. And he tells me I should have thrown a shutout. So, well, we just, we just talked about it a week or so ago, the, the, the famous catch, Willie Mays, you know, the catch over the shoulder. And yeah. uh, there was a pitching change immediately after that. I forget who the pitcher was for the Giants. But as he came out, he handed the ball to the next guy and said, well, I got my guy. So that kind of reminds me of you did everything you could there. Yeah. But. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, that's good. Well, let's talk before we before I want to get into uh, 1984. But while we're talking about hitting, let's go the other way. So you got Tony Gwen went three for nine. Do you know who who really did hit you well? No, I don't. But I do know that um, one of my toughest outs is Tim Raines. You know, and he was the last guy I faced in my career when I was in Montreal and my arm broke. So he was a guy that really forced me to focus. Let's put it that way. Yeah. So Tim only hit 209 against you, but he, he walked. He, he drew a lot of walks, shockingly enough. Yeah. Um, but uh, these are two names. One is very impressive. But the guys that got the most hits off of you with 16 each was Mike Marshall and Dave Parker. Which uh, a little little bit different kinds of hitters there. Yeah, any slouch though. <laughs> yeah, definitely not. Yeah, I'm, that that's that's great. <laughs> <laughs> and, and get this, out of those two though, you would think, okay, well maybe I gave up a couple of home runs to Parker. Only one. Yeah. Mike Marshall hit three off of you though. He really he really enjoyed facing you. Uh, no, no, not nearly as much as Chili Davis. Uh, Chili Davis, my nickname was Chilovecki. Okay? Just so you know. And well, then you must have enjoyed it when you got to San Francisco and he was. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And the other guy that I remember getting me, I think I'm five, I'm in his book five times is Mike Schmidt. And I think every one of them was on a cut fastball slash hanging slider. <laughs> Just crazy. At least, I mean, that's my recollection with how many, at least it seemed like five. Well, I, I would be honored to be anywhere in Mike Schmidt's book, even giving oh, up home runs. So. You and me both. As a matter of <laughs> fact, I, I was so upset with Eric Shaw when Pete Rose got that hit off of him in yes. Cincinnati. And Eric was upset that he gave up that hit. And I was like, dude, I'd have given anything to be in your shoes. I mean, I get to go in the history books. I'd be famous. I gave up that hit to Pete Rose. I mean, come on, enjoy the enjoy the experience a little bit. <laughs> I like that. Well, I don't. Mike Schmidt, he only hit two forty against you with two home runs. Oh, and he may uh, have been exaggerating in his yeah. book. <laughs> and uh, you struck him out six times. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Well, you know what? That's good to know. Thank Jeff. Good night. Good night. <laughs> Keep bringing the stats to me, buddy. You mentioned that uh, Chile did really well with four home runs. You had two other guys, again, a Hall of Famer and a should-be Hall of Famer, and Gary Carter and Dale Murphy also hit three home runs off of you. Yeah, yeah. But, Murph was a tough out. He was a tough out. Um, Gary Carter was a little different. I, you know, it was just a matter of losing focus and getting lazy and hanging a slider. You know, and, and those guys, when you make a mistake, those guys could turn on it. Yeah, these names that we're mentioning, these aren't Joe Schlobotnik. These are all really <laughs> solid hitters. <laughs> and props for, for the Joe Schlobotnik uh, reference. We don't get a lot of Peanuts references on, on this podcast. 
let me ask you, uh, let's start. I, I want to get to 84 for sure, but 83, you were an all-star. Yeah. Not a great all-star game for the National League, but you had a great outing. <laughs> the National League lost 13 to three, but you threw two scoreless innings. Can you tell us a little yeah. bit about your all-star experience? Yeah. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, uh, that's where I struck out uh, George Brett and Fred Lynn. And so, I mean, that was huge. I remembered facing, I only gave up one hit in those two innings. I remember Bruce Benedict was the catcher and I was facing Jim Rice. And uh, I don't know what the count was, but all of a sudden <laughs> Bruce goes like this, which is change up. <laughs> And I'm standing there and I'm going, I don't throw a <laughs> So I threw it anyway. Oh, okay. I threw one anyway. And Rice got a hit between third and short. <laughs> and so I was like, oh my God. <laughs> but that was, that, was a, that was a wonderful experience. I mean, I'm so grateful when I look back on 1983 because I was 12 and five in the first half. I was two and five in the second half. So I'm really glad that they selected after the first half and not after the second half. I just, I struggled. I, I mean, I don't know that I had ever pitched that much in my entire career consistently in the first half. Like I did, I don't know how many complete games I had, but um, you know, I was every fifth day I was out there taking my club into, you know, those innings where there's an opportunity for us to win. And, and so in the second half, I started getting tired, went through dead arm, had a little issue with my arm as well. And so I only ended up uh, two and five after that. But that was still a wonderful, wonderful season. And the all-star game was old Kaminsky Park, you know, and we loved going to Chicago. We loved Michigan Avenue. And and so anyway, it was just a, a wonderful experience. And Man, they gave you a boatload of stuff for free when you came into the clubhouse. <laughs> I think right that was on. one of the coolest things, man. You walk in and your your lockers loaded. I mean, there were duffel bags of stuff. I was with Nike at the time. Nike threw a bunch of stuff in there. They even gave me a couple of bats, which I thought was really cool. So, <laughs> you know, um, yeah, that was awesome. And then you know, I'm in there with guys like uh, uh, Pete Rose and Johnny Bench. You know, Atlee Hamaker and I were, you know, we're really good friends. And, and so we were able to reconnect there. I remember Pedro Guerrero was on that ball club. Fernando was on that ball club. There were a lot of, a lot of great guys on that team. And, and then on the other side, guy I worked out with Alan Trammell in the off season. Oh, nice. Um, he was on that other team and had a chance to connect with him a little bit. So it was pretty cool. So you, you ask about complete games that year, nine complete games in 28 starts. So almost a third of the time you were, you were finishing up the ball game. That's especially in today's game. I mean, that's unheard of. It's a lost start now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's in the, that was in the first, was that through the season? Yeah, that was for the season. 28 okay. starts, nine complete games. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, when I think about it, I think I, I may have had, what, 23 complete games throughout my career? 28. Don't sell yourself short. You got five okay. more in there. Okay. Yeah. And 28. So how many complete games does Adam Wainwright have? Adam's a really, really good friend of mine. And, and I know that he's, and I mean, here's a guy who's been around for what, 15 years, 14 years, 16 years. And he has 27 
So you can lord that over him at least for a little while. I'm going to text him. I'm going to text him and let him know. Very nice. Yeah, that's awesome. Very cool. Yeah, the All-Star Game, the All-Star Game, guys, was ah, just one of those sweet, sweet experiences in my career. You know, one of those things you just don't, you'll never forget. So let's move on to 84. Now, I'm not sure. I know you pitched in this series, but I'm not sure if you were there in Atlanta. This brawl, which is for me, it's the it's the ugliest baseball brawl I've I've ever seen. Obviously, didn't see it live. But were you there for this? uh, I, I, I hesitate to even call it a game. It was it was really a mess. Yeah, I was there for the mess. And it was a mess. It was ugly. I hated every bit of it. I am not a fan of brawls. I'm not a fan of hitting players. I recognize my role as a pitcher in protecting my teammates, but I never tried to hurt somebody intentionally. You know, if I'm going to, if I'm going to send a message, I'm going to hit you in the butt or in the legs somewhere where it's, you know, it's either going to make you, you know, move out and fall over without getting hit or get hit somewhere where you got a big muscle, nothing above the chest, you know, everything was in that area and I only had to do it twice. And, and the one time I, I had to do it, it was in spring training and it was against Tim Foley and back when he was a crazy man. And they was on that team with Reggie Jackson and Brian Downing and, and Bobby Boone and, and Bobby Gritch and Doug DeSenses. I mean, these were all big, big human dudes. Beings, yeah. <laughs> people. And when I, when I threw it at uh, Timmy, um, I threw it at his feet and he, and, he, and he tripped, I didn't hit him, and he tripped and he fell over. And the next day in, in the press, Dick, Dick Williams praised me. So that was really good <laughs> because Dick was the manager at the time and all he had to do was one of these numbers and look down and you knew exactly what you had to do. And then the other time was against Philadelphia Phillies and uh, um, one of our guys got drilled, Sisto Liscano. I was pitching that night and Lenny Matuzak came to the plate right-handed or left-handed hitter, first baseman for the Phillies. I think it's Len Matuzic. I'm not sure. That guy might've also been a football player. I'm not sure. <laughs> anyway, he was a first baseman for the Phillies and it took me four pitches to hit him. And finally Lee wire, the, um, man, the umpire behind the plate threw me out. He gave me a warning on the first pitch that I threw behind him. I was literally trying to hit him and I threw behind him. Oh, finally, finally I hit him in the butt. The next day in the paper, <laughs> I read the article and he said, I was waiting for Drevecki to hit me, but I just couldn't understand why it took him so many pitches, <laughs> especially when he was a control pitcher. <laughs> so he never charged the mound. He, he understood that was a part of the game and, you know, he was going to go take his lumps and go to first base. I will tell you that that brawl in Atlanta, that was ridiculous. It was pure stupidity. I, I don't even know why it started. I don't even know why anybody would do those kind of things. But at the end of the day, guys got hurt. Yeah. It really affected, you know, a lot. But but at the same time, gosh, that stuff happens. It's just sad that it went on for nine innings. I mean, that brawl lasted almost that entire game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think we might have had one or two coaches left on the bench. Well, I think the, the umpires actually... From what I've read and, and saw, the umpires said, if you're not in the game, go in the clubhouse. Nobody's allowed to remain on the bench unless you're actually playing at this point. Yeah. And I, I don't even remember whether or not I, I went into the clubhouse or I sat on the bench. All I know is I kept 
I kept running to the field like every inning and I'm, I'm grabbing another guy and keeping him from going in the pile. So he doesn't get hurt. All I'm thinking about is, look, do you seriously want to go in there and throw punches and get punched at and run the risk of getting hurt? Why don't you just stay here with me? Just stay here. And it was a brave. Yeah. You know, and, and I, and I finally, I finally just went out, tried to talk to somebody to say, Hey, stay away. But I even stopped grabbing guys because it didn't make any difference. I no sooner let go of when they'd say, okay, you know, it's chill. And the next thing you know, I see him sucker punching one of my teammates. And I'm like, this is nuts. This is just flat out nuts. And it has no business in the game except for situations where, well, no, it has no business in the game. But when it, when it warrants protecting your teammates, you know, you go about doing it the right way. Right. You don't intentionally. I mean, I see this stuff coming up here today. Yeah. And it drives me nuts. I'm, I'm surprised that that guys who do this aren't getting the kind of suspensions, quite frankly, that they give out for PEDs. Uh, they, they just need to send a message. You just don't go up there. It's wrong. As a matter of fact, the thing that I don't see enough of today are guys pitching inside. The thing that's disturbing to me is that when a hitter is standing on top of home plate and you come inside and you're actually missing the strike zone by three inches, and he stares at you and wants to fight because you came in. I'm like, are you serious? Yeah. yeah. You know, get off the plate. Either that or I'll help you get off the plate. You see a lot of that uh, these days, yeah. a lot of play crowding. I agree. I mean, there's so many guys now that have no fear. The pitcher has basically concluded that he's going to give them that place. And all that does is give them plate coverage, especially if they feel strong enough to turn on the inside pitch. Mm-hmm. So now I've got complete plate coverage and you're seeing guys knocking the ball out of the ballpark with a pitch up and outs on the outside part of the plate going yard left center field. Where do you have that kind of plate coverage? Unless you literally as a pitcher has have given it to them in, in this day and age, if I were on the bump, Oh my gosh, I'd be, I'd be busting guys inside left and right. I don't care what anybody says. You cannot tell me that a guy can consistently take you yard or get a base hit off you. If you are pounding him in here all day long, unless he decides to step away from the plate and get that pitch, get the barrel of the bat on that pitch. Some guys are quick enough, but I don't know that they're quick enough to do it consistently. Well, it, it's uh, the thing is, is batting average appears to not matter anymore. You know, it's all home runs. And and if you can turn on something or crush it, you're standing on top of the plate and you can hit it opposite field that far. Yeah, I agree. It, it, there's just not enough, you know, busting inside. Well, and, and, and you, you've raised a great point, Mark. Statistical analysis is, in my humble opinion, ruining the game. Stats are ruining the game. I, I get statistics. I mean, Jeff, you've just shared a bunch of them that I really like. And I understand that. But when was the last time you heard somebody talking about an ERA or a batting average and seeing the significance of having a, a good batting average or a good ERA? I mean, you hardly ever hear that conversation anymore. No. It's all these weird letters, you know, PED plus. What is that? And, and that's the other thing. We got a suspension for PEDs. How do you do that thinking you can actually get away with it? Well, as a as a as an A's fan, a huge A's fan, and a huge Ramon Laureano fan, I've been uh, I've been in a little bit of a, a slump lately. And then with the uh, with Chris Bassett the other day, I've been uh, been uh, very depressed baseball wise. I can tell you that. Yeah, I mean the impact that that Ramon's departure 
is going to have on the A's is significant. I don't care if Sterling Marte is there or not. I mean, yeah. and that's a good ball club. Bob Melvin, without a doubt, in my opinion, is the best manager in baseball. Hmm. The best manager in baseball. I don't know over the last 10 years that there's anybody better. He's pretty amazing and impressive. I, I, I agree. And Bo Mel caught me. Did he? He caught me on opening day against the Dodgers when I hit that double. <laughs> nice. And I, and I threw a complete game. Nice. And we beat the Dodgers 5-1 to one in 1988. So, yeah, Bo Mel and I go way back and, and we're friends to this day. And I, I love the guy. And I love what he's doing for that ball club, man. Well, let's uh, let's jump forward to 1988, because it was uh, I mean, this was a a big year for you. As you mentioned, opening day starter for the Giants beat the Dodgers five to one complete game three hitter even. So there's another one of your complete games. But then, of course, later that year is uh, is is it's got to be one of the biggest things that uh, that could happen to anybody where you're diagnosed with cancer, which ultimately led to surgery. So you, so you miss a good portion of that year, but you came back the next year, even though you were said you, you were told probably needed to wait a year. I'm curious to know, was it the competitive fire? What what really drove you to come back in 1989? Well, you know, Jeff, I think it it's been chronicled really well about my faith as a Christian. When I sat in the doctor's office in Ohio with the orthopedic oncologist And he said, Dave, we're going to have to go in and remove the mass. We're going to remove 50% of your deltoid muscle along with that mass. And to be honest with you, outside of a miracle, you'll never pitch again. And he repeated it three times because my wife wanted me to hear what he said. Because in that conversation, the other thing that happened was the moment I heard the word cancer, all of a sudden I went to another place. I was there physically, but I was not there. And I started thinking to myself, if I die from this disease, who's going to marry my wife? Who's going to be the parent, the father of my children and raise them? And will this man love them as much as I do? And then what really hit me, guys, which was a turning point in my life in that in that season of my life was I actually sat there and thought, oh, my gosh, will this guy love them more because I know who I am. You know, I haven't been the best husband. I hadn't been the best father. And I'm not saying that I was this miserable person that was miserable to my wife all the time or to my kids, but you know, baseball was all about me, which meant life was all about me. And so a lot of things got neglected along the way. And when my wife wanted to do something, it was always under the banner and the shadow of Dave Dravecki. If the family was going to do anything, it was always in the, in the shadows of Dave Dravecki. And so, you know, sitting in that, sitting in that room, God gave me a wake up call. And part of the reason why I moved forward with the attempt to come back was because even though the doctors were telling me outside of a miracle, I would never pitch because of my faith and trust in God. I thought, well, God, I don't know what your plan is for my life. I don't know what this story is going to end up being. And so what I have to do is I have to enter enter into it and trust you with it. And what I have to do is trust every person that you bring into this story that's going to help me potentially get back to the mound. So that's what I'm going to do. And because the alternative, I couldn't accept. Retire from baseball, just focus on my health and wonder for the rest of my life, could I have made a comeback? 
could I have pitched again? And so I marched into that place. You know, what, what a lot of reporters can write about and do with a story is take bits and pieces of that story to tell a story. But the entire story is what's important. Every step of the way, I was in communication with my doctors. Every step of the way, I was telling them whether or not I was feeling pain. Through the first phases of therapy, where I literally could not even move my arm when the therapist said, move your arm. And I would literally try. It was like I was paralyzed on the left side. I could not move it. And so his therapy was literally hands-on, and he made the motions for me. He got the muscles to fire by simply moving my arm through ranges of motion that would help me to get those muscles to kick back in gear to start realizing the brain can actually send the message and get the muscles to move and the arm to move. And then from there, it was, I could do that. Then I went to weights. Okay, what kind of weights? I, I had to be specific on the, the, the amount of weight, how often I did it, and every step of the way, are you doing okay? Do you feel any pain? Is there anything, any tingling, anything? And through the entire process, all the way up until August 15th of 1989, the inning before I broke my arm, I felt twinges. But I had always felt those twinges when I pitched with a healthy arm. So those feelings were no different than that feeling on that day before I went out, faced Tim Raines and threw the pitch and broke my arm. So in that entire process, there was never, ever a concern that I was pushing it too hard or I was moving too fast. Every step of the way was being monitored by a group of doctors that were actually giving me permission to move forward to the next phase. And so that was what was critical for me because I didn't want to run the risk of damage. I didn't want to run the risk of more surgery. I wanted to be very careful in this process every step of the way with the doctors signing off, saying you can now go to the next phase. But at the end of the day, when I stood on the mound August 10th, 1989, everything was checked off on every list that was ever put together to help me develop the strength in my left arm to get back to pitch again. And so that day was a huge victory, not for just the Giants, not for Dave Dravecki, but for Dr. Mushler, for Claire Huxtable, even though she wasn't Claire Huxtable on uh, the Cosby show, she, this, this nurse looked exactly like her. Okay. And she cared for me when I was in the hospital. It was, it was all that stuff from that guy that started by simply moving my arm to get movement and range of motion to the therapists in San Francisco, Larry Brown and his team at the Palo Alto Sports Clinic, to oh, Mark Laton, the trainer of the San Francisco Giants, who played such a key role in this process of every time I had a simulated game or a bullpen, it was up to him to make sure that I was feeling fine. The ice packs were on. The therapy that followed was being done. There are so many people in this that played such a key role to help create this quote unquote miracle. All these people were a part of that from the doctors to the therapists, to the nurses, to my family, to my wife, my mom and dad, all the support from my friends. And last but not least, 
the San Francisco Giants and my teammates, their support was overwhelming. You know, when I look at all of that, I know it's a long answer to your question, but the reality was I look back with no regrets. I did everything according to the way the doctors wanted me to follow that path. And I am so grateful for every part of the experience, including breaking my arm on, on August 15th, because that was probably the most significant moment in my life as I now look back, seeing the path that I believe God has had me on since then in coming alongside people and helping them and encouraging them. And it is really an amazing story, Dave. My next question for you is, is and tell me if this is true or not, because this is a real test on top of that. During uh, 1989, the NLCS, the Giants beat the, the Cubs. You were already injured with your, with your arm. And during this celebration, you would have to bring this up. <laughs> well, you would have to go there. Well, but I mean, I, it's just one thing on top of another. Literally. So you, you, you were you were further injured in the celebration. That's very accurate. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, no, no, I, it's I mean, okay. It's it really is okay. By the way, what ended up happening was, you know, obviously, I made the comeback, and then, you know, I, I break my arm and. It felt so good to be a part of the team again. And now all of a sudden I'm not a part of it again. And we're in postseason and we're getting ready to close this thing out. And I'm sitting on the bench and Tom Seaver comes down from the booth. He's going to be there to do interviews and a bunch of stuff. He sits next to me and he looks at me and he goes, how you doing, Dave? I said, I'm doing good. He goes, man, it was just, you know, he talked about what happened and all that. And then he goes, you're not going out there to celebrate, are you? I said, are you kidding me? I said, you better believe I am. Man, with your arm like it is, are you you're crazy to go out there? I said, Tom, how can I not go out there? How can I not go out and celebrate with my teammates? Gosh, was I stupid? Because I was like, when, they, when that final out came, I was like the second guy out. So I'm going to be in the pile. What are you doing? And so I get there and I kind of slow down. I back off. And I kind of wait until a bunch of guys get in there. And then I go in and somebody just smokes me from behind. I mean, somebody, it, I don't know if it was an elbow, if it was just a forearm, but they hit my arm square. And I just went, boom. I mean, I went white as a ghost. Mark Laton looked at me. He goes, dude, are you all right? No, get me out of here. And I mean, I'm hunched over. And, and he goes, what's wrong? I said, it's my arm. Somebody hit my arm in the pile. Man, I felt so bad for him because he couldn't celebrate. Now he's got to take care of me. He walks me off. Dr. Campbell from uh, the Palo Alto Sports Clinic and our orthopedic doctor comes in. He goes, oh my gosh, Dave, what did you do? I said, I got hit from behind. He goes, we're going to have to get you in and get some x-rays for you so we can figure out what's going on. I said, doc, look, I'm feeling better. You know, my color started coming back. He goes, can I celebrate with the guys? I mean, they're in the clubhouse now. Can I go and celebrate with them? And, and he goes, yeah, sure. I said, look, you've just given me pain meds. I want some champagne. <laughs> he said, go ahead. Don't worry. Just go easy on it. Okay. Go easy. So I took a glass of champagne in and I celebrated and lo and behold, I go to the doctor's office and I get the x-rays and two inches above the original break that it started to heal. Um, I had a, a complete fracture straight across. And so now I had 
literally, I had two breaks in my humerus bone. And so unfortunately for the next six to eight weeks, I was informed that I had to sleep in a lazy boy chair because my arm had to hang because they couldn't cast the humerus bone because they would be concerned that if they casted it, that they wouldn't be able to, they wouldn't be able to keep it straight. Gravity has to take place. When gravity pulls, you have a better chance of the bone being straight. Instead of grabbing it with that, with the cast stuff. So I slept in that lazy boy chair and, and we got into postseason and we were in the World Series. And you know, I'm still in San Francisco and I'm I'm just struggling. You know, I'm not getting any sleep. I'm exhausted. I hurt. My wife called Al Rosen and just said, Al, could you, would you please give Dave permission to go back to Ohio? We need to go home. By that time, we had built a home back there. We were going to go back and, and be in the community that I was raised in. And so with that, he gave permission for us to go. I ended up going back to Ohio in the middle of the 13 days that were off in between game two and game three. And that was that, that experience on the mound that afternoon celebrating was not what I had planned on. Yeah, sounds like it. That's, yeah. uh, that, that, that had to be heartbreaking too. Not just your arm, but your heart. A setback like that would, uh, would devastate a lot of people, but you used it to bounce back. That's, that's an amazing part of your story too. I appreciate that, Mark. I, uh, it was hard going home, watching us lose, not being there with my teammates. It was really interesting. This isn't often shared very much, but Al Rosen in the off season actually called me and offered me a contract right before I had decided to retire. And he said, I don't know if you'll ever be able to pitch again, but we want to offer you a contract with some incentives. And if you happen to come back, we want you. Wow. And I was just so grateful. I said, Al, I can't thank you enough. But I said, I, I, I couldn't sign a contract knowing that there was a possibility that I'd never be able to pitch again. And I told him, I said, you know, I'm, I'm actually contemplating retiring. So after that phone call, probably a couple of weeks later, right before Thanksgiving, I announced my retirement, November of 89. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, and that was, that was the beginning of a very different journey. Yes. And now that baseball was out, a much different journey. And what I would discover would be even a much more difficult journey than what I had just gone through. But I'm really grateful that I'm here today. That's for sure. All right. So that's a good place to kind of uh, kind of wrap up this first installment of our discussion with Dave Dravecki. Next week, we're going to get into a whole bunch of other stuff, uh, some great stories, some great memories, and uh, some great things that he and his wife have been doing since uh, this all went down in 1989, where uh, his... I, I hesitate to say health issues because it's so much more than that. Um, yeah. Just a really good story and a really nice guy. And uh, we're excited to be able to share with you again next week, the second part of our conversation with former Major League pitcher Dave Drevecki. Uh, by the way, next week, uh, Dave also was nice enough to stick around to uh, play Wax Packs Heroes with us. And uh, that'll be fun because there's a couple of guys that we pulled in his pack that he had some good stories about. Speaking of Wax Packs Heroes, Mark, why don't we jump into the final segment, which we do call, shockingly enough, Wax Packs Heroes. Gotta pull a Wax Pack Hero! Yes, and here we go. We have special Wax Packs. 
Yes, it is special Wax Packs Day. Now, if you remember a, a couple of weeks ago, one of our listeners, Marshall, was nice enough to put together some custom Wax Packs, including custom uh, Wax Packs art to go on to wrap these up. He sent us a couple of packs. We opened up two of them a couple of weeks ago. We're gonna open up the other two this week and uh, see what uh, what he has given to us. These are custom packages of cards that he has put together. If you uh, are just joining us and uh, have not heard of this segment before, Mark and I go head to head. And uh, the way that we do that is we open up a pack, a pack of cards and we use Baseball Reference War of the Year of the Cards. And uh, we total that up. There's a couple of different ways that we can add or subtract points as well. If the player on the card is wearing glasses, eye black, scuba gear, anything over their eyes, we're going to get an extra tenth of a point of war. If they are wearing real stirrups and we can see those sanitary socks and uh, stirrups that Kent Herbeck hates so much, you're going to get an extra tenth of a point of war. If they are wearing those Kent Herbeck approved two and ones, though, we're going to minus that tenth of a point. If you're wearing sweatbands that have your caricature or your jersey number on it, you're going to get an extra tenth of a point of war. If the player won any award that year, such as Rookie of the Year, Cy Young MVP, was an all-star or a gold glove winner, you're going to get a half a point of war. If they are now in the Hall of Fame, you're going to get a full point of war. And Mark and I also get to each pick a team. That team shows up in our pack, we're going to get an extra half a point of war. But if it shows up in the other's pack, it's going to be a minus a half a point of war. So Mark, what uh, what team are you going to go with this week? I just recently watched Pulp Fiction, and uh, I wanted to order a Royale with cheese. I'm just going to go with the Kansas City Royales. All right. That's a bit of a stretch there, but we'll, we'll allow it. <laughs> okay. Uh, if you're going to go with the uh, Kansas City Royals, I am going to go with their interstate rival, the St. Louis Cardinals. There you go. In, in honor of Lars Newtbar. There you go. All right. So uh, this is a little bit unique because I do not have the cards in front of me. Uh, Mark, you have them. Let's before we open that first pack, let's take a look at our scoreboard where in the third season, I am currently up three to one. All right. So, Mark, you've got the packs. Uh, you're going to which do you want? Do you want to choose one? Do you want me to choose? How do you want to do this? You're in control this week. Well, I, I think I think you should choose one left or right. All right. I am going to I'm going to stick because it always works out so well for me. I'm going to stick with the left. OK. So the left pack, here we go. So I'm going first? You're going first. All right. I'm going to be the home team for once. All right. Ricky Henderson. All right, left pack, here we go. Looks like we've got 1991 Donruss. Okay. So those are the green border ones. And your first card is second baseman for the Angels, Johnny Ray. Now, I'm laughing at that because I, I don't, you know, spoiler alert, Johnny Ray was actually in Dave Dravecki's pack. And uh, <laughs> I remember Johnny Ray vaguely. Neither uh, Dave Drecki nor Mark really did. But <laughs> that's that's funny that uh, he happened to come up again here. So, all right. So uh, Johnny Ray, despite the fact of not being that memorable to us, spent 10 years in the big leagues. Unfortunately, though, 1991 was not one of them. 1990 was his final year. He wrapped up his 10-year career with the California Angels. Actually ended up with a 290 batting average. Over 10 years, a 101 OPS plus, uh, not a lot of power, not a lot of speed, but he had gap power, had 294 doubles in his career, including twice leading the league in the early 80s. So Johnny Ray in 1991 is going to get me nothing. Is there anything on that, uh, anything on that card that's going to help me out? I'm looking at the stirrups and they look real to me. All right, I'll take it. The real stirrups and uh, nothing else. 
So I'm on the board at least with a with a tenth of a point from Mr. There John Ray. All right, and your next card is the man with the screwball, Fernando Valenzuela. Fernando, we mentioned him earlier in the podcast when Dave Dravecki talked about him. He, he, he hit him well, and he was uh, apparently a, a little bit easier to bunt off of. <laughs> uh, let's see, in 1991, Fernando, it was his first year with the Angels, and uh, he was injury-plagued that year, only appeared in two games, went 0-2 with a 12.15 ERA. This Ouch. does not bode well for me. A 36 ERA plus. That's that's uh, not good. Ouch. That equates to a war of minus 0.4. Yeah, that's not the direction you wanted to no. go. No. Is, is there anything on that card that's going to help me out? Uh, yes, he's got these awesome glasses on. All right. And can't see any stirrups? Just the glasses. Just the glasses. Just the glasses for uh, Mr. Fernando Valenzuela. Interestingly enough, this was his last year in the big leagues before he went down to play in Mexico for one year and then came back and uh, appeared in another five years in the big leagues. But uh, Fernando not helping me out there. All right. I'm at uh, minus point two. Way to go. That's a good start, man. All right. And your next card is a Dodger shortstop. The one and only Alfredo Griffin. All right, Alfredo Griffin, I think, was he the guy, I know he's from San Pedro de Macaris, and we just spoke about one of these, one of the guys from uh, San Pedro de Macaris recently that uh, was credited as coining the phrase, you can't walk off the island. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm not sure, let, let, we'll, we'll look here in a minute. Uh, Alfredo Griffin played a long time in the big leagues, 18 years oh. in the big leagues. 1991, he was with the Dodgers, his final year with the Dodgers. Uh, let's see. He did okay. 243 average, uh, 557 OPS. That's only good for a 60 OPS plus. Uh, not uh, not a lot of steals at this point in his career. He did have 192 throughout his career. He had some wheels earlier on, but not a whole lot going on here in 1991. And uh, I'm headed in the wrong direction here, Mark. A minus 0. 0.3. <laughs> Uh-oh. It's getting scary now, man. Anything on that card going to help me out? Yeah, real stirrups, man. Of course, Alfredo Griffin had real stirrups. I would expect nothing else from from a gamer like him. All right, so that will uh, that'll uh, make it hurt a little bit less, but that'll send me down to a minus point four. A couple of interesting notes here. I, I don't think it was him who coined the phrase "you can't walk off the island," but a couple of interesting notes here. First of all, Griffin is the only player in Major League history to have started three times for a team that has uh, had a perfect game thrown against him. <laughs> oh, wow. 1981, Len Barker for Cleveland did it. He was uh, Tom Browning's perfect game in 1988. He was in the lineup that faced the Reds there. And then he was also in the lineup in 1991 when El Presidente Dennis Martinez threw his perfect game. Wow, what are the odds? Also, uh, Alfredo Griffin was on deck in 1992 in Toronto when Joe Carter hit that series-winning walk-off home run against Mitch Williams. Ricky Henderson was on second base. And that was uh, that was the end of his career. He retired after that. Good way oh. to go out on top there. Yeah. That'll be it for Mr. Alfredo Griffin. All right, I'm at minus .4. I'm ready to go the other way. Okay, well, I'm not sure how much uh, Lance Blankenship is going to help you, but uh, infielder Lance Blankenship of the Oakland Athletics is your next card. Lance Blankenship is one of my all-time favorite Oakland Athletics. <laughs> I knew I'm, Lance, a very quiet very nice guy. I love me some Lance Blankenship. That dude played everywhere. 
Let's see. In 1991, well, he spent six years in the big leagues. Every single at-bat was in an Oakland A's uniform, which uh, I loved. I uh, played infield, mm-hmm. outfield. Let's see. In uh, 1991, not a bad year for Lance. He hit 249, which is, was career high. That was good for a 94 OPS plus. He had 12 stolen bases. He had, you know, he was pretty good on the bases. 54 career stolen bases, only caught 18 times. So bad. not too bad. And uh, I'm actually going the right way. A 1.4 war. Or I'm sorry, a 1.5 war. Bad news for you. Uh-oh. Two Fake and ones. Strips. Yeah. He yeah. was, it, Jose and McGuire were pushing those. Well, I, I'm glad uh, Dave Javecki's not still with us while we're opening this pack because Lance was a member of the 19. 19- 89 World Series champions. Ah, yes. <laughs> All right, so I am at one even. I'm at least in the positive now. All right, and your next card, sir, you have yourself a Hall of Famer. Nice. I like where this Minnesota is Minnesota Twins own Kirby Puckett, who I've heard rumors could hit. That is correct. Wow. Looking at his, there is not a season in his career that he did not receive Rookie of the Year, MVP, or was an All-Star. Every single year. Amazingly consistent. Consistent. So he's a Hall of Famer. Also in 1991, he was an all-star and he won a gold glove. So that is two points right off the bat before we even look at his numbers. Let's see. Had a pretty good year with the bat average wise. Uh, 15 home runs, 89 RBI, 11 stolen bases, 319 average and a 119 OPS plus. And that equates to a 4.3 war plus my two that I'm going to get for Hall of Fame and the two awards. So that's 6.3 pending anything else on that card. And yeah, we can't see any. He's not doesn't have any glasses on. He can't see his feet. So I don't know what kind of stirrups he wore. So nothing else on the card is going to help. But it uh, sounds like a pretty good score for you. I will take that. That'll bump me up to 7.3 for Kirby Puckett. The late Kirby Puckett. All right. And your next card is a former outfielder for the Oakland A's. But in this card, he's with the St. Louis Cardinals, Felix Jose. And uh, since I chose the uh, St. Louis Cardinals as my team, I'm going to get a half a point right off the bat. There you go. Felix Jose Canseco. Let's see. Junior Felix Jose Canseco. That's right, Junior Felix Jose Canseco. Uh, Felix Jose, he came up with the A's, as you mentioned. 11 years in the big leagues. Wow, he retired in 2003. I would have thought he was out of the game in the in the 90s still. But 1991, good news for me. Beyond being on the Cardinals, he was an all-star that year. The one time that he was an all-star. Wow. Ended up the year with uh, not a lot of power. He never really had a lot of power for an outfielder, especially for a right fielder. Had 77 RBIs, a 305 average, which was his uh, career high minus his rookie year where he only appeared in eight games a 124 ops plus and that is a 2.5 war plus he was an all-star so that'll bump me up to three pending anything else on that card and the rest of the card is not going to help you out man all right so that'll bring me up to 10.3 i'll take it felix jose also went on he played a little bit in the uh, actually he played for four years in the kbl where he had some very good seasons over there wow and uh, he was selected as the coach of America's Next Top Baseball Player, a reality oh, television series based on America's Next Top Model that aired in the Dominican Republic. Too funny. I would, I would like to see that. I would love to see a baseball reality show. Yeah, I mean, but there's a reality show for everything else. Yeah, Shoot. why not? 
All right, I'm up to 10.3. I'm going in the right direction now. Man, no kidding. You picked it back up. Okay, your next card. I'm not sure if we've run across this guy very often. Uh, he actually was Rookie of the Year in 1975 and MVP, Mr. Fred Lynn, with the Padres at this point. Padre legend, Fred Lynn. So 1990 was uh, Fred's only year in San Diego, and then he hung it up. So my second, <laughs> my second card, I feel like we might be getting trolled here by Marshall. Uh, my second card where there will be no war. Hopefully he's not wearing two-in-ones or uh, doing anything else that's going to minus me any points. But in uh, Fred Lynn's career, 17 years in the big leagues, as you mentioned, one of those uh, guys that was named Rookie of the Year and also won the MVP in the same year in 1975 for the Boston Red Sox. He was a nine-time All-Star. He won the MVP award, as we said, that first year, four-time gold glove. He won a batting title in 1979. He's one of those guys that's always kind of Hall of Fame adjacent. Yeah. Hall of Hall of really, really good. Yeah, I agree. Fred Lynn had, um, he had really did have an illustrious career. You know, he had power. He could hit for average. And like you mentioned, he won a couple gold gloves. Uh, and then here's, here's an interesting real quick trivia for you. Fred Lynn, as we talked about, one rookie of the year and MVP in the same year. Only one other player has done that. Do you know who that is? I do because we've discussed it, but I'm, I can't remember. It was. <laughs> Ichiro. Ichiro. There we go. And this card has no stirrups, no glasses, no nothing that's going to help you or hinder you. All right. So that's uh, right. that's a dot ball. And your next card is an MVP card for the Milwaukee Brewers, Dave Parker, the designated hitter. Another guy that was mentioned earlier in this podcast, Dave Parker, a fan of hitting off Dave Dravecki. Yes. He's no Mike Marshall. But uh, he did very well. <laughs> Let's see the Cobra. Yeah, one of uh, one of my favorite guys. The Cobra and uh, 1991 was his final year in the big leagues. He split it between the Angels and the Blue Jays. Most of it was spent with the Angels. He ended up combined hitting a. He ended up combined hitting 239. Had 11 home runs and 81 OPS plus. You know, the year before, he was an all-star and a silver slugger, but that doesn't help me. 1991, he ended up with a war of minus 0.1 with a Cobra. <laughs> Anything else on that card? No, it's a it's an upper, like, bus shot, and he's not wearing glasses or anything. So nothing else to help you out there. So Dave Parker, we've been talking about, uh, talking about Hall of Fame adjacent. I think Dave Parker yeah. is one of those guys that a lot of people feel might even be more than adjacent, but... You know, we've talked about the Pittsburgh drug trials, and, and that really kind of tainted a lot of players, like he and Keith Hernandez, that might have might have kept him out of the Hall of Fame. I don't, I'm not sure that they're they're eligible for the uh, for the Veterans Committee or whatever they call it these days. But right, right. All right, the Cobra. Well, speaking of the Hall of Fame, sir. All right. Your next card is a Hall of Famer. I like it. Roberto Alomar. Oh, I don't like him though. Yeah, there, there's some reasons for that. Yeah, well, I mean, I didn't like him as a player. Uh, I didn't like the spitting. And the the allegations and uh, news about him recently is certainly not good either. But you are right. He is in the Hall of Fame. They can't, well, they could take that away from him. But <laughs> for our purposes, today he is in the Hall of Fame. Roberto Alomar, part of the Alomar family, of course. Father, big leaguer, coach, brother, Sandy Alomar Jr. of Big leaguer. I think he's the first base coach for Cleveland right now. So Roberto Alomar, uh, this is this is going well. 
Uh, let's see. In 1991, it was his first year in Toronto. And he was an all-star, and he won a gold glove that year. So combine that with his uh, Hall of Fame. That's two points right off the bat. Let's see. Didn't have his power stroke just yet. Might not have hit that juice yet. Nine home runs, 69 RBI, 295 average. And wow, he stole 53 bases. I'll take that. Had a 115 OPS plus. That equates to a 4.6 war plus the two for the Hall of Fame, All-Star, and Gold Glove. That's a 6.6 card minus anything else on that card. Well, or plus real stirrups. I'll take it. So there you go. So that's a a 6.7. That'll bring me up to 16.9. Very, uh, very happy with that. That's a good score. Yeah. And and, uh, you got another Hall of Famer. I like this. Marshall's loading us up. All right. (laughs) Detroit Tigers pitcher, Jack Morris. Speaking uh, speaking of guys that are in the news lately for not good things, <laughs> Jack Morris. <Yeah. laughs> Jack Morris is a great baseball player. Ended up in 18 years, 254 and 186 record, a 3.9 ERA, a 105 ERA plus for his career, which is kind of pedestrian. I'm not going to lie, but he's got <laughs> a lot of black ink in here. You know, he played for a long time. 1991, I like it. He was an all-star for the Twins. His one year in Minnesota, he won a World Series that year, too. He won three World Series. Wow. Went 18-12 and 12 with a 3.43 ERA. Led the league in games, started with 35, and also led the league in wild pitches with 15. But uh, I will take all of that. He's a Hall of Famer, and uh, he was an all-star that year. So right there, there is uh, one and a half uh, you know, one and a half points for me. And plus real stirrups. Okay, real stirrups plus. Ended up with a 4.3 war. So that'll be 5.9 with the real stirrups. Uh, we're heading in the right direction here. I'm at 22.8 and digging it. Well, I guess we could we could mention in 1991, along with winning that World Series with the Twins, he was named the World Series MVP for, yeah, that, he, uh, for that. He definitely had a flair for the dramatic... And he just knew how to win baseball games. All right. I'm at 22.8. Two cards left. All right. Outfielder for the Chicago Cubs, Dave Clark. Dave Clark five. (laughs) Sort of. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if you punch him into the old Google machine, that is definitely the first thing that shows up is the Dave Clark five. But uh, Clark, Dave Clark's nickname was Clarky. Well, that's unique. Yeah. (laughs) Now, if you would have asked me how many years Dave Clark played in the big leagues, I would have said three. Yeah. Thirteen. 13. 13 years in the big leagues. No awards to his name, but you spend 13 years in the big leagues, and I'm I'm, I'm pretty happy with that. Now, Something right. Unfortunately, 1991 it was his lone year in Kansas City, which is your team, so I'm going to minus, uh, I'm minusing a half a point right there. He only appeared in 11 games. So I'm not expecting anything here. In fact, it's a minus 0.1 war with the minus half a point. So I'm at minus six, minus some real stirrups or glasses or anything else. Yeah, none of that stuff going on with Mr. Clark. So I'm at 22.2 with my last card. Hit me. And your last, your last card is a Seattle Mariner. In fact, he is Mr. Mariner, A.D. Alvin Davis. Alvin Davis. Let's see. Only nine years in the big leagues. It's, some of these guys, I swear were barely in the big leagues, and then they've, you know, 10, 15 years. And then some guys like Alvin Davis, I felt like, were there forever. But only nine years, again, only. Congratulations. I would 
kill for one <laughs> at bat. Nine years in the big leagues. Uh, was the rookie of the year in 1984 for the Mariners. And uh, 1991, though, was his final year in uh, Seattle. Led the league with 10 sacrifice flies, if that accounts for anything. Only hit 221 and had a 76 OPS plus, And that equates to a minus 1.8 war. Ouch. <laughs> well, you, you, we should have called it quits before those last two cards, man. Yeah. <laughs> Anything on that card going to save me? CAD's got his famous glasses on, but fake stirrups. Oh, that wipes, that wipes both of those out. That's, yep. uh, it's, and uh, that is it for you, my friend. All right. So that will end my pack at 20.4. So, uh, you know, it's, it's a, acceptable score. score i'm not i got I'm not, my work cut out for yeah, me. i'm not feeling supremely confident but i'm i'm hoping that if marshall put that many negatives in my pack that yours will will have the same amount <laughs> but let's get to it well all right now i'm gonna select which pack i want i'm gonna go with the one that's left all right, right. well no i chose the left one. Oh, the one that's still remaining how's that here yeah. we go opening the packs 91 donris and my first card is an infielder for the Giants, I just remember him being real skinny. Ernie Riles. Ernest Riles. Also an Oakland athletic. Let's see. Uh, Ernie Riles was uh, 6'1", 180 is what he's listed on baseball reference. So. <laughs> Soaking wet. Uh, 1991 was his uh, lone year in the green and gold. He uh, appeared as a utility infielder. Got into uh, 108 games. Not bad. Let's see. Ended up with a 214 average. And a 75 OPS plus. So I don't think that's going to help you. Oh, he still had a 0.4 war. Now, how come you get these guys like that? And you're in the positive. (laughs) He got me on that one. Uh, In 1985, as a rookie, he came in third in the rookie of the year balloting. Wow. That looks like really was his best year. 88 with the Giants was pretty good, too. But I think that rookie year was really his best best effort. As I said, a 0.4 war. Anything else on that card going to help you out? Nope, it is just uh, Ernie smiling at the camera. So you're uh, you're point four after one card. All right, and my next card is Monty Ferris, shortstop for the Rangers. I remember Monty Ferris. I want to call him he Monty a, Hall, but he was a number one or a first round pick, I believe. Let's see, drafted by the Rangers, number one in 1988 from Oklahoma State University. Wow. I wonder if he was a teammate of Robin Ventura. Oh yeah. Uh, only played three years in the big leagues, though. But you're lucky because 1991 was one of them. See, he appeared in 19 games. Uh, had a little bit of pop that year. In those 19 games, he had uh, a double and a home run for an OPS plus of 120. And that equates to a war of 0.3. Hey, I'll take that. Again, you're going the right way. I'm get, I got nickel and dime by the negatives. Anything in that card going to help you? Yeah, throw on some real stirrups, too. Well, Monty, congratulations because we like the real stirrups, unlike Kent Herbeck. Yes. Uh, okay. Next card is a pretty awesome one. Um, this is a highlights card from some right-handed pitcher named Nolan Ryan highlighting his 300th win. Nolan Ryan. Now, I am not familiar with Nolan Ryan. Have you ever heard of this guy? Uh, I've seen his name. Yeah. On some beef. I had some. I had a steak tonight, <laughs> and that's, I was unaware that he was a baseball player, but there you go. <laughs> well, you know right away you're, you got Hall of Fame Yep. credentials which is nice uh 1991 he was only 44 years old still had two <laughs> years left in the tank <laughs> ridiculous he went 12 and 6 get this with a 2.91 era 
Oh my goodness. And 203 strikeouts. And he That's led the man. and get this though. This is Nolan Ryan. He led the league in whip as a starter with a really? 1.006 whip. And he also led the league giving up only 5.3 hits per nine. Wow. Man. Not bad. That dude is he was popping Advil left and right. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, he, he's something that equates to a war of 5.2. You get the hall of fame bonus. So that is a 6.2. I know he always wore real stirrups. Can you see any? You, you cannot. I'm going to be honest with you. All right. Well, that's 6.2. That. That's not bad. That'll get you up to 7.0 even. Yeah, I'll take that all day, man. Mr. Lynn Nolan Ryan. That. All right. So that's a good card for you. What a, just incredible to look at Nolan's, yeah, Nolan's was, numbers. All right. That's great. All right. Next card is a catcher for the Oakland Athletics. <gasps> Can you guess? Well, I'm hoping. Well, true. I'm, I'm hoping if it's you, I'm hoping it's Ron Hasse, but it's probably Terry Steinbach. It's Ron Hasse. All right. <laughs> All right. Good old number 24 for the Oakland Athletics, Ron Hasse. But, of course, at this point, 1991, Ricky had been there and bought that number off him for the uh, suit and the golf clubs, and the appearance. So uh, let's see, Ron Hasse, 14 years in the big leagues as a number two backstop most of that time. 1991 was his final year in the big leagues, and he was actually, he spent it up in Montreal, where he was a backup. Hit 227 to 76 OPS plus, and uh, that, it doesn't matter, you're still in the positive, a .1 war. Wow, I'll take it. Except there's one one bad thing here, he's got fake stirrups. And uh, they dot ball alert. <laughs> <laughs> Ron Hasse. Now, again, I think I've mentioned this before. He was a cousin of my insurance agent when we lived in Arizona, and I was told that he was a jerk. That's, <laughs> that's just secondhand knowledge. I cannot speak to that, whether that happened or not. He was behind the plate, though, in 1988 when Eckersley gave up that uh, home run to Kirk Gibson in the World Series. So, ah, uh, yes. I think he also caught Denny Martinez. Uh, perfect game no kidding yeah he did he caught martinez he was he was martinez exclusive catcher hmm. and he had also previously caught len barker's perfect game so that's, well, that's weird. weird we got the card earlier with uh alfredo griffin it was alfredo right that, that it appeared in three perfect games on the wrong end of them yeah but ron hassey caught two perfect games that's bizarre the only other catcher to, to do that is Gus Triandos, who I am oh, not familiar oh, Gus. with. Yeah, Gus. Yeah, he's a cousin of mine. <laughs> he played in the 50s and 60s. Ah. Uh, four-time All-Star, right-handed catcher, unfortunately. That's uh, interesting. All right, so you're, uh, nice. you're at seven even. Right on. And my next card is not a Hall of Famer, but a darn good hitter in his time. Dave Just Ice, or you can call him Justice. Rookie of the Year for the Hammers in 1990. He received MVP votes that year, too, but he was no no Alvin Davis or Ichiro. Let's see, 1991 was his first, or I'm sorry, his second full year in the majors. Uh, not an all-star, received some MVP votes again. Hit uh, 21 home runs, 87 RBI, 8 for 16 in the stolen base department. You gotta know when to not run. Uh, hit 275, a 140 OPS plus though, and that equates to a 1.6 WAR. Anything on that That's card to help out? No, that uh, that is a card with no extras. 
think we've mentioned that he and his second wife, Rebecca Villalobos, uh, were on an episode of Celebrity Wife Swap. <laughs> I think we've talked about that. <laughs> I think yet. we have too, because that Celebrity Wife Swap always makes me laugh. So that, that shouldn't exist. She is the CEO of Exotic Spices Calendars. So <laughs> is this a calendar that like cooks hang up in their kitchen where there's just, oh, look at that. There's uh, some, there's a chili pepper in a provocative <laughs> uh, setting. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe, maybe like it's made out of the, the actual product. <laughs> you can actually cook with it. Uh, yeah, I am not finding. Oh, no, here's one. Yep, it is literally spices so okay well this is kind of weird because january of this year these are still around it is parsley now parsley is that a spice Parsley a spice i think that's just something you eat after your meal so you, you know well, no, I, you, helps your breath you you definitely use it in cooking but i i guess it could be a spice i don't i'm just looking at this then you've got some little peppercorns okay and then sage i I don't consider that a spice, but I guess it could be. An onion is not a spice. No, I don't consider basil a spice. I'm, I've got some. I've got some problems with the uh, with the spice calendars. But let's get back to this, and we'll uh, we'll move on. You are at eight point six. All right, and my uh, I almost got a cardinal here. He was a cardinal for most of his career, but he got traded to the A's midway through the ninety season. Mister Willie McGee. Willie McGee, native of the Bay Area. We've talked about Wheelie before. Uh, it could have been the Willie McGee game instead of the Ryan Sandberg game. We just talked about that recently. 1991, uh, after his short stint with the A's, he went across the bay, signed with the Giants, and uh, did Willie McGee-like stuff there. Stole 17 bases, hit 312, had an OPS plus of 119, no awards that year, and a war of 2.9. I'll take that. Anything else on that card going to help you out? Let's see. The stirrups, I really can't tell. So we're just, it looks like a solid green sock, to be honest with you. So I guess not. No glasses, nothing like that. All right. So no. Now, my next card, actually someone I'm familiar with, he was a pitcher for the Mariners, Matt Young. And that was, this is his second trip to the Mariners. I think he started with them, got traded signed somewhere else, and then eventually came back to the Mariners in 1990. Yeah, well, he played in Oakland in 1989. Okay. Won a World Series. With a, I, I don't sure know, did. I don't think he was on the playoff roster. I could be I could be incorrect, but I, I don't remember him in the playoffs, and I don't see any playoff values here. But, uh, yeah, led the league in uh, 1985 with 19 losses. Ah, oh, lucky guy. It was an all-star his rookie year, though. But in 1991 was his first of two years in Boston. Went three and seven, five point one eight ERA. That is an eighty-four ERA plus, and your first negative, a minus point two WAR. Darn it, Matt. So Young was uh, one of those guys that got screwed over. He should have a no hitter to his name, but in nineteen ninety-two, when his second year with the Red Sox, uh, in the first game of a doubleheader, he allowed two runs on seven walks and an error, but no hits, and uh -huh. ended up getting the loss. Throwing a no-hitter to Cleveland. A rarity to be sure. All right, you're at 11.3. Next card, Toronto Blue Jays. Pitcher, John Ceruti. I remember that name. I even spelled his name right. Look at that. Uh, let's see, John Ceruti. Boy, he was a starter. I, I thought he came out of the pen, but no, he was a starter. In uh, 191 games, he started 108 of them over his six-year career, or a seven-year career, six of which was with Toronto. Uh, his... 
final year was 1991, and that was spent in Detroit, where he went 3-6 and six with a 4.57 ERA. And that equates to a war of minus 0.3. Ouch. Anything else on that card going to help you out? No, nah, it's all ugliness. Saruti uh, got the win in the very first uh, Blue Jays win in the Sky Dome. Remember, I remember that was uh, against the Brewers because I think Don August through the first game was involved in that first game in Sky Dome. Oh, yeah. And next is a first baseman for the Cincinnati Reds, Todd Benzinger. I like to call him Zinger, but we know that his uh, real nickname is Mercedes. That's right. Todd Benzinger, we have talked about him quite a bit. 1991, he split time between Cincinnati and the Royals. He started 1991 with Cincinnati, but ended with the Royals. So I think we're going to give that to you. You're going to get your your half point for nice. uh, for being on the Royals. Uh, beyond that, his uh, totals for that year uh, let's see. No power for our first baseman. Three home runs, 51 RBI, 262 average, and an 83 OPS plus. That equals a war of minus 0.4. Great. But he's on the Royals, so you're going to get a positive 0.5. So you're going to get at least 0.1 out of this deal. Okay, well, I, I can live with that. Anything else on that card going to help? Absolutely not, sir. So Todd Benzinger ended Oral Hershiser's scoreless streak. Oral Hershiser yeah. had pitched 59 innings without giving up a run. But, uh, I remember it was, hearing that. I can't. Interesting, though. I, I remember that. I remember that a lot, but I would have never been able to tell you who broke it up. But now we know it's Todd Benzinger. Of course, you would expect that. Yeah, of course. His name's Mercedes. Come on. <laughs> All right. So you're at 11.1. 11.1 with a Hall of Famer on deck. All right. Pitcher for, at this time, the Angels, Burt Blylevin. Burt be home by 11. The Frying Dutchman. We have, uh, we've discussed him before. Boy, he pitched yep. for a long time. 22 years in the big leagues. And a 3.31 career average, uh, career ERA. That's very good. Uh, 1991, though, he was injured for the entire year. <laughs> so you're going to get your, your Hall of Fame point, but you're going to get nothing else from him unless there's anything on that card. And, uh, no, no glasses, just an upper half shot. I'll have nothing and like it. Oh, Bert Blylevin threw a no-hitter against the California Angels in uh, 1977. Oh, wow. I, I've got a great picture of him in the in the clubhouse with a shirt on it that says, um, I think it says, like, I love farts. Or something. It's just an irrelevant, <laughs> irreverent T-shirt. But uh, also, uh, he was... Uh, Got in a little bit of trouble on a nationally televised uh, nationally televised game and gave the uh, the finger the middle finger yes. to the TV camera famously. I, I, I believe it was to the crowd, was it not? The uh, crowd was says, booing him. It says uh, to the TV camera that was okay. focused on him during the broadcast. You know, we've I, I'm not sure if we've we've mentioned this about him. He is one of the kings of giving a hot foot. Ah, oh, nice. And uh, when he was with the Angels, there was a sign above the fire extinguisher in the clubhouse that read, in case of Blylevin, pull. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> also appeared as himself in the 1990 James Belushi movie, Taking Care of Business. Okay, then. Which I, I don't really remember that one. Um, Me neither. The poster is James Belushi uh, surfing on top of a Rolls Royce in Beverly Hills while somebody inside the car yells at him. Ah. Charles Grodin, apparently, is who that is. 
But during a 2006 broadcast, Bly Levin uh, forgot the name of the movie and had to be reminded by somebody else in the booth what it was called. (laughs) I've done that. Good stuff. All right. You're at 12.1. All right. Up next. uh, And in in this picture, just wearing a a shirt and tie, along with a Dodgers cap, Daryl Strawberry. Straw. By the way, the the shirt said, I heart to fart. (laughs) That's just beautiful. Let's see, Daryl Strawberry, boy. There are some interesting people in baseball. Not always great people, (laughs) Uh, but you're gonna like this. 1991, he was an all-star. He received MVP votes. You're gonna get a half a point for being an all-star. First year in Los Angeles, he hit 265, 28 long balls, 99 RBI, and a 140 OPS plus. He ended up with a 3.7 war because of that. So with the all-star, that'll put you up to 4.2, pending anything else on that card. Nice. And no, there's nothing else. Well, you know, I was taught that uh, if you can't say anything nice about somebody, not to say anything at all. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and uh, pass on saying anything else about Daryl Strawberry. I am on my last card right here, and it is a Hall of Famer. Okay. Shortstop for the Cincinnati Reds. You know this guy. Mr. Barry Larkin. All right. So you're at 16.3. I finished at 20.4. So I've got 4.1. I'm not feeling good here because Barry Larkin's a Hall of Famer. And so you only need like a 3.1 war. 1991, he was also an all-star and a silver slugger. So there's two points right off the bat. Ended up with 20 home runs, 24 stolen bases, 302 average. Uh, Let's see, a 143 OPS plus. And that equates to a 6.1 or which will get you an 8.1 because of those other accolades. And that'll push you over the top with a 24.4. Very clutch Larkin right there. Yeah, that's uh, that's bottom of the ninth inning type of stuff right there for Mr. Larkin. Wow. Wow. So that uh, that takes you up to two wins. I am sitting at three. Let's go ahead and thank once again. Uh, one of our great listeners, Marshall, who sent in those custom packs. If uh, if you would like to do that, you can do that. Pick out some cards, preferably keep them all from one season. And, uh, you know, maybe there's some something interesting to speak about on some of them. If you're going to do it, maybe if we could keep the packs to 10 cards or less and uh, we can tell you how to get them into our hot little hands. But we really appreciate that. And uh, that was really fun to get that from a listener. So let's start to wrap this up, Mark. What do you say? Yeah, it was a good one, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. We got more next week as we did the second part of our interview with Dave Dravecki. If you do want to get a hold of us during the week, you can find us on all the socials. We're at 2 Strike Noise. That is at TWO Strike Noise on Twitter, on Instagram. We're on YouTube. We're on Twitch. Uh, we're toning down our OnlyFans account because, of course, they're uh, cutting back on what you could do there. Also, we've got email that uh, Mark's going to share with you. Yes, you can write to us at 2 Strike Noise. Spell it out. T-W-O Strike Noise at gmail.com. All right. That'll do it for this edition. Once again, uh, we want to thank Dave Dravecki for the time that he gave us and remind you that you can hear the second part of our interview with Dave Dravecki as well as his edition of Wax Packs Heroes on next week's show. It's a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, we'll be here on the next episode of Two Strike Noise. Thank you. God bless you. Have a great day. <laughs>